Welcome back to Awaken Exchanges. I'm your host, Jay Rich, and we're about to get into another UFO episode for Disclosure Month. Things have been getting pretty busy for Awaken Vapes lately, especially as we expand our presence in local Portland area stores. But so far, I'm keeping up with them as well as the podcast. So if that changes, I'll try and let you know if we're going to have a dark week. But I really do value our listeners and our exchanges. So I'm going to try and keep it going. Uh, if you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please email me from the website or contact me on Twitter at Awaken Exchanges. I hope you keep joining us here for the exchange. For this week's rant, I'm going to talk a little bit about the UFO UAP disclosures going on right now. The report is officially scheduled to drop on the 24th or 25th, midnight basically, of this month. That said, a lot of their conclusions have already been leaked, and surprise, surprise, um, they're basically saying nothing. They're giving us a big fat goose egg. And uh, they're not saying the craft or nothing, but what they're actually telling us is that there's nothing to suggest that it's aliens. They're also saying there's nothing to suggest that it's not aliens. It's the UAP equivalent of we can neither confirm nor deny uh, the existence. So let's think about the other options then. Is it China? Is it Russia? Would either of those options be any better? Honestly, it would probably be worse, wouldn't it? The fact that those countries could possess a technology that we can't duplicate or explain, wouldn't that mean game over if these Cold Wars turned hot? Personally, I think they're both working more towards the hacking warfare and psyop side of things uh, rather than possessing the technology that we can't explain. Um but I suppose it's possible that they have tic-tac-tech. Um, what other options are there? Swamp gas and weather balloons? Um, holograms? Hmm? I don't know. Um, our own classified drones, I do think that it's at least semi-likely that whatever is creating this, it is a drone-like technology. It doesn't have to be controlled from inside the craft. Um Maybe they're just trying to distract us. But if they're trying to distract us, it's not working very well since it seems like 90% of America is just shrugging their shoulders like this isn't one of the biggest stories to ever come out. So the media is talking about it, but then changing the topic straight back to COVID or political infighting because it gets better ratings. Hell, they're barely even covering the nearly 250 mass shootings we've had this year. And we're only in June. Would people be more interested if they had some of the history behind these UFO sightings and the unknown? I don't know, but I, I kind of thought maybe. So that actually segues fairly nicely into this week's interview with Josh Perkins. Uh, Josh is one of my former co-workers from Rose City Labs. And his UFO enthusiasm is contagious. We talked about it a few times while we were working together, but he came on to talk about it today and uh, share his thoughts on disclosure as well as his research into UFO history. I'm hoping to include links um, in the show notes to his presentation as well as his MUFON Wow's Instagram of pages when he could uh, share some of those images and videos that were fairly unexplainable, but were gathered at the MUFON website 
You can also hear a little bit more about some of these topics in our Great Awakening map series, from the Secret Space Program to Werner von Braun and the other Nazi links, such as the Vril Society and uh, New Swabia. I want to thank him for coming on to the exchange and sharing not only his research, but a great conversation with me. Now, before we get to the interview, here's a brief rundown of our sponsors. First off, I want to thank all of you personally for your support. Just listening and sharing this podcast with your friends gives me a reason to keep providing the best content that I can. If you have the means and would like to contribute personally, please take a look at our Patreon page where you'll get access to exclusive content and deals. As for our other sponsors, Awaken Vapes was the first of the Awaken brands and has been helping you modulate your high with CBD-only high terpene vape products since 2019. Genesis Farms has been making the highest quality medicinal RSO since working with the medical community back before 2010. And last but definitely not least is the Caramel Corn Company, bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, or follow us wherever else you're listening. And if you can, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I know every podcast says that, but it's because it really does help spread the word. You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. All right now, stay tuned and thank you for listening to Awakened Exchanges. Genesis Farms was founded on the belief in cannabis's ability to heal. Genesis Farms is more than a brand. They're a compassionate community of like-minded individuals that generate top-quality cannabis products made with love and care. Community outreach is always on their mind, and their partnerships with Grow for Vets and Parents for Pot was just a beginning to what they hope to accomplish in the coming years. You can find their products on the best dispensary shelves across the state of Oregon. Their RSO is the most consistent quality in the state. Their tinctures are second to none, and their personal massage oil will have you and your partner both coming back for more. Find them on Facebook and Instagram and ask for them in your local dispensary today. Don't forget to listen to Sean's interview here on Awakened Exchanges. It's episode number three. The Caramel Corn Company is bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. Made with premium ingredients in small, handcrafted batches and completely gluten-free. The flavors include original, roasted cashew, salted almond, mixed nut, spicy sriracha, white morsel macadamia, peanut butter, butterscotch, and my personal favorites, chocolate drizzle and raspberry caramel apple. I can't say enough about how delicious this caramel corn is. It makes a great gift any time of the year. You can find them on sale in Portland area market of choice locations and online again here real soon. Visit caramelcorncompany.com for more information today. Remember, buying local supports small businesses and keeps your money building your community. And last but not least, Awaken Vapes has been bringing you some of the highest quality CBD vape cartridges since ringing in the new year in 2019. 
I became passionate about cannabis after a car wreck left me with major migraines and no prescribed pills helped alleviate any of the symptoms. Having only tried cannabis a handful of times in high school and college, it was a doctor's recommendation that led me to give cannabis another try. Only then did I realize that we'd all been at least a little misled about the health benefits of this amazing plant. Despite the unexpected break because of the vape ban and then a global health crisis, the business is stronger than ever and we invite you to check out our updated website today. We are still offering our three varieties with new improved terpene formulations and enhanced flavor to go along with the custom blended terpene effect profiles. Check back at awakenvapes.com for any updates. You can always email us about wholesaling or white labeling opportunities as well. Welcome to Awakened Exchanges. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. We've been talking about this for a long time. Thank you. Yes, I'm glad to be here. So uh, can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you're going to talk to us about today? Let's see. I'm Josh. Um, I was, uh, you know, involved in marketing. Um, we worked together previously. Rose City Labs. Yep. Yes, we did. Interesting and place. Great place. Center of the universe, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, uh, I do digital marketing, and I've got a passive interest in the esoteric, um, including, of course, uh, unidentified flying objects and the potential uh, explanations for that type of deal. So as we're getting closer and closer to disclosure, this is actually about the perfect time to talk about that, and uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what you're going to bring on today. Thank you. Yeah, it's... Uh, Nobody knows what's going on, but we'll, I guess, try and get into it as, as much as conversation can allow. So. All right. So let's, let's hear some of this. Okay. Well, um, you know, uh, regarding UFOs, the question, what are UFOs, is actually um, the most complicated question anybody could ask about anything. Um, and that is because the s answers or solution to that question is so diverse that it's almost not even fair to have a single question, what are UFOs? <laughs> um, there's the interdimensional, there's the time travel question. Uh, there is, is it, you know, our own classified craft? Is it alien craft? Is it aliens from another dimension? Is it alien time travelers? There's uh, such a checkerboard of answers to what are UFOs that the question is, I think, overlooked by mainstream media because any answer is going to require hours to explain, and mainstream media does not give detailed, long answers. So They'd rather dismiss it as crackpots. Correct, yeah. And the military has had a vested interest in that dismissal, um, because if you happen to see a classified flying object that we've made, you can get laughed at, um, and immediately that story is squashed. So uh, the government has perpetuated and... Uh, benefited from the uh, ridicule of people who have seen this type of thing. So how did you first get interested in this? Great question. Um, and the answer is actually really boring. Um, <laughs> I went to the library and uh, I grew up without television. And um, let's see. So I do a lot of reading and I went to the library one day and uh, there was a small section above the coding coding section of books and uh, I read every single UFO book there was and just couldn't believe that this wasn't more discussed by mainstream and by everybody. Um, it was so fascinating. There were 
accounts in these books of Iranian uh, fighter pilots firing at, you know, hundreds of rounds at objects that, you know, there's no discernible effect. And yet these were objects registered on radar. Um, it was just so fascinating that I thought, wow, uh, there's got to be some answer as to why this isn't further discussed. So I looked into it. And I realized why it's not discussed is because it is so completely complicated and uh, obfuscated as well. So, Awesome. I actually got interested in a lot of the uh, ufology and cryptozoology kind of stuff from my library as well. I was a voracious okay. reader as a kid, so wow. I went to that section yeah, and just yeah. kind of you know, indulged. Well, the cryptozoology side of things, that I think contributes to the stigmatization because you start answering those questions and the what are UFOs becomes an even more muddied topic. Um, and so uh, with the exception of a few investigators, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Lon Strickler. He, he does a little bit. Uh, he does a uh, cryptozoology um, briefs. Uh, most people don't have an elegant or comprehensive way of tying the two subjects together. Um, and they don't always have to be, but um, in a lot of cases there is a tie and, uh, you know, we're here in the Pacific Northwest with uh, Sasquatch being talked about oh, yeah. everywhere. And, um, you know, uh, 50 years ago, um, the idea that Sasquatch would be at all related to UFOs or alien craft was dismissed. And now you see a lot more researchers accepting that there may be a link between the two. Um, Normally something to do with interdimensionality, Exactly, right? yeah. Um, whether they're higher dimensional tourists, just wanted to be in the forest, or... Uh, you know, ecological um, preservationists uh, getting down down in the mud to see. I, I don't know what the answer there is, but um, a lot of accounts do involve disappearance that seems interdimensional. So, yes. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, off air about East SETI and that, yeah, I just went and did a trip up there a couple weeks yes. ago. I'm going back for this new moon here actually tomorrow as we record this. Um, but they actually have a... A bunch of shrines and stuff to Bigfoot and interdimensionality kind of stuff out there as well. Interesting. They they seem to associate Bigfoot with like the ascended masters kind of thing as well. Which interesting. I've never heard that take. I, I've heard you know. I, I admittedly have not looked into the Sasquatch, Skunk Ape, Bigfoot as much, but um, yeah. Um, in so far as uh, higher dimensional visitors, that would that would fit. So. It's uh, definitely an interesting place. But um, so you started studying it, and when did you get more deeply involved? Well, um, huh. I, I suppose um, I didn't really make any headway. I had a passive interest. And, you know, you, you go on Google and you search anything related to oh, UFOs. Yeah. It's a rabbit hole. Um, I guess my... The change of scene happened when I got into MUFON, uh, the okay. Mutual UFO Network. Um, they have a website. You know, there's there's two main reporting agencies for UFOs. There's New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center, which is manned by a single person out of one state, and their reports pile up. Their website is pretty outdated, and you can still find some really interesting accounts there, but the main reporting center is MUFON, Ma uh, Mutual UFO Network, and they have in every state, a state director, and they have resources they can dedicate to investigations. Um, also, all of their reports go to Bigelow Aerospace and mm. are then received by um, either the military or NASA in some capacity. 
Um, so um, it's a little bit more legitimate. And so my interest um, solidified when I realized that I could go to uh, the Mutual UFO Network website. And uh, even though membership is 3000 or was 3000 bucks a year, you can look at the 20 latest reports on their website. Okay. And so what I would do is every single day, go on to Mutual UFO Network's website, look at their 20 latest reports, and uh, they would include files such as video and photos with the accounts in addition to the, uh, the location these, these sightings were seen and the description by the people. A lot of them aren't in English, um, but Interesting. Uh, it, was, it was really fascinating. And so what I did was every single day, um, I tried to do it anyway, um, go on there and download every file. And I had a very basic um, sifting method where the files were either meh, um, not very exciting. They were huh, where they're huh, kind of exciting. Or they were wow, where there was something there that was not explainable and interesting. And so I used this very basic sorting method over the course of a year and a half um, and filled up my entire hard drive with videos and photo of things that absolutely... Um, don't have a traditional explanation and uh, where I love it. Yeah. And so I started uh, an Instagram page um, called MUFON Wows, where I would put the wow videos. Um, and uh, let's see, about two months ago, um, about as, as the uh, news regarding this co congressional UFO report uh, came out, MUFON removed the ability to view those images and videos. Really? Um, yes. And uh, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm less familiar with New Fork's website, but I believe at the same time New Fork did as well. So you can no longer see um, the videos and images people are posting on MUFON unless you are a full member. Uh, I guess I, you know, kind of exposed a shortcut to <laughs> to their database there that uh, maybe maybe cost them some membership, but. Regardless, um, but shouldn't information be free and accessible? It That's should, and and from my understanding on MUFON, they only posted the videos and photos if the submitter of the sighting um, allowed that. So there's not really any reason for them to suddenly change tactic, besides maybe uh, money intervention. Yeah, intervention. Um, oh, perhaps some yeah. classified. You know, and, and I will say this. Um, in specific regions of the United States, there were sightings um, where I would go to click the link for the photo or video, and in very specific regions around the United States, consistently, uh, there would be a 404 file not found error. Um, hmm. And it is my personal belief that uh, some of these submissions of UFO sightings interfered with national security and... Um, Therefore, those files disappeared uh, consistently around the same areas in the United States. So Interesting. Yep. So m those could be almost more likely to be military craft ones that they were trying to keep out or, or the other option that uh, they really right. knew about the unknown, right? Dignitaries who requested their presence be concealed. That's another possibility. Mm. Um, I don't know, but I do know that the uh, areas where these files all came up missing were the same. Um, and it was not just the West Coast or the East Coast or Central United States. It was throughout the country um, in some hot spots, he, even here in Oregon. Um, wow. Yep. 
Now, you mentioned Robert Bigelow and the fact that all those MUFON reports go to him. That's my understanding. I don't know to what degree that's been validated, but I have heard that from multiple um, sources within MUFON. And I know that he is a big believer. His uh, interview with Joe Rogan was actually fairly interesting. Uh, but have you? did you do any research on Skinwalker Ranch while you were doing that? I've heard a lot about Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, I've followed Linda Moulton Howe, who has an mm -hmm. interest in Skinwalker Ranch. And um, what I believe about Skinwalker Ranch, just in passing, from the few facts I've been able to hear, is that there may be a base facility or... Uh, long-term technology there that is being protected by something far more intelligent than people um, that's willing to express itself in a nearly unlimited uh, number of ways um, to confuse people. And so uh, you have a location that doesn't move with a phenomena that changes all the time, and it, it almost seems like uh, uh, the humans aren't smart enough to catch on. That's, that's kind, of, <laughs> kind of what it seems like is going on there. I do not doubt that at all. Um, okay, so what? Well, you have a presentation that you have worked on yeah. a little bit, right? Right. So um, you know, in you know, uh, I'm a student of history. I like history. Um, I tried to understand this topic, and the more I got into it, uh, the more I realized this is incredibly complicated, and uh, there's almost no way to. Um, find the source of, of, of when this all started. A lot of people say 1947, thereabouts, mm -hmm. uh, a little before then. Right um, as we're getting into the atomic history of the correct, world Correct, well. yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I speculate as to whether or not that's the only answer. Um, a lot of people have other beliefs. Um, there were a number of things going on during that time period. Um, Aleister Crowley had uh, seances and whatnot. Some people attribute the rise to spiritual influence on that side. I tend to think that the, um, atomic, uh, the atomic answer is the correct one. I, yeah, I think I've, I have heard that theory though, with, uh, Crowley thinking that he basically brought the aliens in because of a, a failed or an incomplete, uh, I don't know what you'd even call that right. mission of theirs. Um, but I, yeah, it seems very coincidental that right as we harness the power of the atom, all of a sudden these things start becoming a lot more frequent, even though they have been around throughout history. If you look back at some very interesting early religiously uh, yes. tinged sightings. Exactly. Yeah, no, UFOs are not new, and they certainly didn't just appear in 1947. The question is whether or not 1947 marked a rapid uptick in the arrival of UFOs. And um, the atomic answer would be uh, a very good one. I, I've heard speculation that um, an excess of energy in atomic blasts may come from an interdimensional source, which could mean that, uh, you know, we turn the porch light on to different dimensions when we, oh. um, when we unlocked the atomic energy secret. I hadn't heard it quite put that way before. That's, yeah, very interesting. It's, it's possible. I don't know. Um, I just know that uh, the two Punching, match up. I was going to say, if we're like using that much energy, I could almost see where we're like, you know, punching through 
uh, we're only seeing three count four dimensions if you include time and so all of a sudden math says we need 10 or 11 at least right and so all of a sudden we're we're making our presence known even when we can't see it in these other dimensions it's possible and Mm. um you know you get into some of the crazier fringe uh um, research regarding the Philadelphia experiments oh, yeah. um, and their attempts to uh, shift matter out of the visible um, dimensions. And, uh, yeah, you could see how um, the influence would increase after that if there are interlopers between dimensions just waiting for uh, waiting for that light to go on. So uh, studying history. Right, yes. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Back to the the small presentation I put together. Um, There are uh, fairly credible accounts um, from World War II. um, Foo Fighters and such. Foo Fighters, yes. And and you get into Werner von Braun and the Project Paperclip where the Mm. Nazi scientists were brought over. And the technology that they were able to give us secondhand um, was so far in advance of what we had developed. In my mind, um, it seems more than likely, uh, based on the evidence, um, that uh, World War II went the way it did because um, the the uh, Nazi regime um, focused much of their industrial and scientific efforts on exotic craft that they hoped to weaponize, and that this eventually um, fell through. They, they made great advances, um, but they were not able to weaponize the technology, and as a result of expending the resources they did in those directions, the United States, um, going towards a different aspect of, of physics, um, happened upon the A-bomb before they were able to weaponize their flying saucer technology. They, yeah, they put too much emphasis on one side of the equation. And uh, then we got to utilize all that after we stole all of their scientists. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And pretty blatantly too. A lot. Of, a lot of Americans don't understand that the first head of NASA was a previous Nazi scientist, mm-hmm. um, and that our entire foray to the moon uh, was basically due to the research that the Nazis had done. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not something that's easy to tell kids in school, but it is nonetheless how we got to space officially for the first time. So it's like they don't want to tell us anything when we're in school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I think with the upcoming report, um, there's an understanding that uh, there's a defense deficit due to the stigma that's been perpetuated by the Defense Department and the entire government as a whole. Um, and I think they're realizing that if they want to remain competitive with countries where, for example, China, there there's no yeah. stigma around UFOs um, because, uh, you know, you've got uh, an atheist society where um, the um, the topic doesn't threaten any religious establishments. Which is the big thing here is conservative evangelical Christians Absolutely. think it's going to upend you, all of Christianity. You hear a lot of accounts from... People who say half of the senators really want this looked into, the other half thinks it's just demons. And that's why I get into the Alexander Crowley thing is because that's another group. There are hardcore ufologists who believe the same thing, that there's nothing physical to this, that it's manifestations by evil, and it it doesn't really answer all the questions. It's an easy out, um, but it doesn't answer the questions. So... Uh 
in your presentation, what where do you start? Do you start in the fifties? Do you start uh, with forty seven? Roswell incident? I start in the 30s, believe okay. it or not. Um, there were accounts that um, Italians and Germans in the 30s were making advances um, in gravity manipulation and that, uh, you know, in the early 1940s, um, the secret societies that came to control Hitler and the SS uh, and spearheaded the whole Nazi movement, in fact, um, they were foremost concerned about the development of these technologies and the survival of uh, an Uber race um, and getting any technology um, or uh, information that could help them. And so um, you see during uh, World War II, there was this group called the Ananerbe. Um, it was a group that was sent out by the Third Reich to countries all across the world, um, Nepal, Tibet, um, this is all on the uh, Library of Congress. You can see some really interesting footage, videos. Mm. Um, and what what separated the United States from Germany in this regard was that the Germans at the time um, didn't draw a line between science and spiritual, uh, the spiritual or esoteric beliefs. Um, they threw it all into one and believed it was all um, understandable as one, whereas the United States uh, was there's just a different mindset. Um, and so you see movies like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where uh, the Nazis are going to get these ancient power objects. Um, yeah. And that actually happened. Um, not not the, the Ark of the Covenant necessarily, but um, the dispatching of high-ranking, well-funded scientists to places all throughout the world where there was believed to be ancient mystery knowledge. Um, and they bought it up, brought it back, and uh, according to some accounts, got somewhere with it. Um, through the use of a group within the Nazi party um, called the Vril Society. I was just going to ask you about yeah. them. So um, there, there are good accounts um, regarding the Vril Society um, and another secret secret society within the Nazi party called the Black Sun, Schwarze Zana. Um, and they, um, according to many accounts, controlled the entire Nazi party. And uh, after the war was lost... Um, they essentially controlled the escape of the wealth, assets, and science of the Nazi party to first South America, and mm. according to many, then to Antarctica. And uh, you have so many things coming out about Antarctica right now. Um, I figured if you want to explain this well, you got to go all the way back to the end of World War II. And to, to understand the end of World War II, you have to go back to the 30s. And... Um, so I've put together a presentation of um, strictly uh, visual evidence um, regarding the slow, incremental advancement of these technologies um, and their ultimate uh, escape, if you want to call it that, to Antarctica. And uh, that's, the, that's the first presentation I've done. And, uh, you know, I really just put it together as a, um, a favor to some friends who kind of, you know, this is an kind of out of your depths when you start looking into UFOs and uh, it's a good place to start. And so that's why I put that together. And I'll uh, be trying to include this either in the YouTube video or as a link elsewhere. Uh, please feel free to come over and download. It's going to be very informational. Um, why don't you show us some of that? All right. Okay. So as it loads up here, the first slide um, is a toy Created by, um, I believe oh, it's yeah. 
Revel? The company is Revel. The Hanabu. The Hanabu 2, yes. Um, and uh, I, I begin and end this slideshow with two different articles from Popular Mechanics. The first is from roughly two years ago. Um, let's see, yep, uh, three years ago, 2018. Um, and then I conclude with another article from Popular Mechanics, and I do this to show just the speed at which the conversation around UFOs has changed. Um, so you have here um, an article by Popular Mechanics, and the title says, Nazi UFO toy pulled for historical inaccuracy. Um, it goes on, it says, The model of the non-existent Nazi UFO, the Hanabu 2, produced by model company Revell, will no longer be produced after criticism about its historical inaccuracy. The model's packaging, which falsely proclaimed the round aircraft was the first object able to fly in space with a top speed of 6,000 kph, failed to mention that the craft was never built. So this is a uh, article by Javier Mechanics shooting this down, saying okay. absolutely not. This is not the way it was. And... Uh, the article at the end of my presentation paints a completely different picture about the same topic. And, okay. um, and it really, you know, highlights, um, the rapid change in the conversation. So um, it has been an interesting decade for sure. Absolutely. And, and I don't know what changes have gone on. Um, it would, it would almost seem that this, uh, this stalling came to an abrupt end very recently. And there must've been a good reason for that, whether it was, uh, you know, breakthroughs in what these things are or an acceptance that we don't know what they are. Mm. Um, I don't know. Um, but certainly there is the understanding within the government now that this needs to involve a great number more people um, looking into it. And uh, so I really hope that this upcoming UFO report begins that. I certainly don't think it'll conclude what everyone's looking for, but I believe and especially if it's non-conclusive, I believe that will draw enough attention to the subject that we'll actually get somewhere. So while I'd really like a full reveal, I almost would prefer uh, a question mark just so that the media and everyone who's just getting on board to this topic can point their direction or attention in one direction. Well, and Eric Weinstein has pointed out that uh, it would be really nice if they would give the underlying data to some actual scientists so that we could actually have, you know, them review it and talk about it as opposed to just kind of giving what they say is their opinion. Absolutely. Um, I think the, the issue there is that um, scientific orthodoxy is so, so um, not fragile. I would say scientific orthodoxy is so tough to break through. Anytime there's a new hypothesis or theory, even if it turns out that it ends up being correct, there's so much ridicule until that's confirmed. So uh, let's look at the lab leak hypothesis over the last year, the change from no way it could ever possibly be to, you know, people saying, yeah, probably. Uh, the what hypothesis? I'm unfamiliar. Oh, uh, the lab leak hypothesis with the Lab COVID. leak, sorry. Yeah. I, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's a very interesting case um, of, of, you know, uh, media, media orthodoxy. Um, mm -hmm. You could not post about this on Facebook three weeks ago. And uh, now if, if you mentioned that there was a lab in Wuhan uh, less than a kilometer from the center of this leak. Um, Where three of their scientists had to be hospitalized in November right before it all broke out. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting the degree to which the media um, and social media, just the general, you know, general media control, um, 
kind of kind of reversed and there's been no apology for the initial ban on these um, theories, but yeah. they, they have reversed their policy. And so I, I expect the next time there's, uh, you know, a conspiracy with, uh, you know, that can hold water, um, they're going to be a little bit more hesitant to ban the discussion because this has looked pretty bad. I would like to think so, but I've also just seen public's reaction of meh, Shrugging their shoulders and still believing the first narratives that were told instead. You know, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it doesn't necessarily change how we react right now. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't change anything. Um, a lot of, you know, I have friends who are doctors and I, I, I ask them, you know, um, is it possible um, that this came out of a lab? And what they'll say to me is it doesn't matter. We have to we have to respond right now. Um in the future, it will matter. Um, well, and it also matters is if it was a virus that was basically being trained on gain-of-function research, then it's probably also more likely to continue to mutate and do these weird things that we're starting to see. So that, that's what worries me is, you know, a mutation that nullifies those vaccines we've all been, you know... Yeah, directed to get absolutely. Um, and I think if you if you look into um, the history of coronaviruses in China, um, going back, I believe to 2018, there's a virus called the Mahjong Miners virus hmm. um, that is remarkably similar to uh, you know um, current coronavirus we're seeing, and uh, the fatality rate there was much higher. So um, I don't think. I don't think it's beyond speculation to um, suggest that potentially the Chinese uh, were doing some well-intentioned research and um, accidents happen. Accidents happen, sure. And and in a in a society specifically where the government doesn't ever say sorry, um, it's a little difficult to get uh, a clear answer or an apology. Yeah. And so uh, you have this expectation for truth outside of China, um, and um, nobody nobody can get anywhere. Um, the World Health Organization concluded that their report, or they didn't conclude, rather. They said their report was inconclusive regarding the origins of the coronavirus. And uh, within China, this seems to be the end of the conversation outside of China, Everyone cannot believe it. Um, and, you know, I've, I have family in China. I speak Chinese. I worked in, and lived in China. I did not know that. Yes. Um, I uh, worked in Dongguan, um, major industrial center for a while. And um, there's just a completely different mindset there. Um, everyone is so recently out of poverty and so ecstatic about what global trade has done for them. They oftentimes confuse that with, um, what the government has done for them. And as a result, they're willing to uh, look past some abuses by the government um, because of all the improvements they see in the last 30 years. And uh, I think as um, the wealthy in China move abroad and the, the reality that this, this improvement in their lives has been due to globalization, uh, not, not due to the Chinese Communist Party, um, I believe that... Um, the attitude towards their government by the people will change. So. I hope we see that. 
But uh, as we're about to get into a little bit more of your presentation, I also wanted to mention that uh, during my series on the Great Awakening map, if anybody wants to go back, there are uh, there's an episode on the Secret Space Program, a couple of them. Uh, a couple other things where we hit... Um, I, would, I would also like to mention the Secret Space Program stuff is so interesting. Isn't it? Um, and if you... If you're, if you're willing to dive in, um, I would say aim for long-term goal of getting to understand the Secret Space Program. Begin with history going back to World War II, and you won't walk away shaking your head thinking this is all too much. So... I Sorry agree. No, there. no, please. Um, I was just going to say in episode 30, Ancient Aliens and Earth Rising, we talk about a lot of this uh, uh, Antarctica stuff that you're, or we touch on it because that map is just horrendously packed with information that you can't really decode very quickly. But I'm very interested to see what research you brought. All right. So, yeah, um, second slide in this um, presentation is just the Wikipedia article regarding New Swabia or New Swabenland. This was a colony um, began in uh, 1901 by the Germans. Um, it was folded into the Nazi party's plans and um, this was going to be um, a new base. Uh, they, according to many um, accounts, took Ukrainians, uh, which were considered uh, racially pure, having blonde hair and blue eyes, um, and sent a great deal of these people and their scientists on boats to begin a new colony in Antarctica, where they had determined that um, much of the area was actually not Arctic. Um, there were geothermal pools, and um, in some places the water was... Um, the temperature where you could swim. They realized they could grow things there, having, you know, a ton of daylight during half of the year. So instead of being all ice, like we think they, they found like microclimates kind of thing. Exactly. And further, um, the German Navy mapped out all the fjords and um, inlets and documented a great deal of places to hide submarines, which will come into the conversation mm -hmm. later. Um I would also just like to point out um, a lot of this conversation hinges on the theoretical possibility of anti-gravity uh, technology. And um, you look at a submarine, what do you have? You have a craft that is atmospherically contained and can travel in, in you know deep, deep water with lots of pressure. It would be far easier to have a submarine in outer space than underwater. Um, you have to... You have to counteract zero pressure. Um, you simply have to be airtight. And so a submarine with anti-gravity technology is a spaceship. Um, and the question of whether or not this was the first type of craft they developed or if this was the first type of craft the United States developed um, is hotly debated. A lot of people believe that when the Project Paperclip scientists were taken from the advancing Russians, um, so they couldn't go back to Russia, um, that they contributed to retrofitting some of our submarines with anti-gravity devices and that these flying submarines were the first spaceships. It's, a, it's a little out there, but if you think about it, um, you know, it makes perfect sense. These technologies, you know, uh, pressure control underwater is perfectly applicable to space. So, Have you heard much about uh, Bob Lazar and Element 115? 
I have heard about Bob Lazar. Um, I am not familiar with Element 115. I will say, um, oh, and I can't remember his name for the life of me right now. Um, there was a uh, geologist who died here in Portland who claimed he uh, worked in Dolce, mm. um, New Mexico. I think I remember the guy, but I can't remember his name, too. I think right. we talked um, about him on the last series. And he discussed an element called 140, which he claimed all of our current submarines are coded in, and that this element 140 cannot be made to fluoresce, meaning its electrons are in such a configuration that even when bombarded with x-rays, an x-ray laser from space, for example, um, there's no energy discharge. Um, there's no heating up. Um, the, the element is so stable that it simply reflects um, this incoming energy. And it would make sense. If you can hit a submarine 20 miles underwater with a laser, you'd want to cover it with something that cannot be made to fluoresce. So I think that um, if, you know, um, if it comes out in 30 years, 20 years, whatever the time frame may be, that element 40 does not fluoresce, uh, there'll be a great deal of research back into these accounts. Um, but please go ahead on, on, on Bob Lazar and element 151, you say? Uh, 115. 115, okay. And what uh, his big theory or his big uh, claim was is that element 115 and its solid form was what uh, the craft he was working on were using for anti-gravity, basically. Okay. And at the time he was saying it in the um, in the late 80s, we didn't have any proof that element 115 existed. Since then, they've been able to make it in minute quantities um, at CERN during the super collider uh, experiments, but they've only it's stable for a few seconds as opposed to, uh, like Lazar claimed, having an actual, basically like a, a ball of 115 as being generating an anti-gravity field around the craft, which is how it is able to maneuver the way it does. Interesting. I, I'm i sure that, um, you know, if extraterrestrials exist, and I believe they do, that they have discovered these elements that are more fleeting to us and um, potentially have created uh, artificial environments where these elements may remain longer so and i know i'm not doing a story justice uh the jre interview with uh um with him and jeremy corbell is a good one for people to look at uh let's see i i know at least according to my re research um the uh scientists prior to the nazi party um were working with rotating mercury I don't mm -hmm. know if you've heard that theory. Um, I've heard the theory, but I haven't looked into it much. Counter-rotating mercury mixed with a couple other elements was able to induce uh, gravitational change, uh, an area of effect where gravity changed. And um, while this technology allegedly was abandoned, um, being inferior, um, it allowed them to understand the principles which led to the further discoveries of more advanced um, and reliable forms of exotic uh, space-time manipulation. And where I was actually going with that before was, um, so element 115 is extremely rare here. We can't keep it stable for very long. We don't know what to do with it. But say there was an alien planet where that was just a natural resource. All of a sudden, they could bypass fossil fuels completely and do, you know, go down and a propulsion... Um, 
timetable that just completely bypassed cars or jets like we have here and we're working with this element instead it's a i don't know it's an interesting theory yeah i think that um if you look at the uh current current power brokers on earth there has been a very clear um squashing of any any um insistence that there's a possibility that we could bypass fossil fuels the uh power structures on earth really at least recently um depended on fossil fuels to uh to assert the global dominance of uh western powers and um while that's been to our benefit here in the united states um one would think that there were much easier ways um to have cars running to have society running besides oil um you look at the degree to which uh electric cars we're developing in even the twenties. Um, and you really wonder why we've gone down this path. Um, given that we've had so many different solutions. Well, we just stopped developing electric cars and batteries for a hundred years, basically because, well, we got away with fossil fuels. We have plenty of it. We're not killing the environment or ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, I would not, I would not be surprised if, um, the defense structures in the United States, and the uh, the black budget, which is talked about a lot, garner a lot, or previously garnered a lot of their resources from this reinforced paradigm of fossil fuels and ener- energy dependency. So then, uh, after you talk a little bit about New Swabia, yeah, um, where do where does it take us from next in history? Okay, so. Um, there is uh, the assertion that um, psychics were used by the Vril Society, um, which was a secret society which uh, became banned. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Michael Sala. Um, a little he, bit, yes. He's, he's just uh, an incredible researcher. He worked at uh, the American University in Washington, D.C. Um, before being let go for being into these type of sub- subjects. Career killer. That's what Career this has killer, always been. yes. And... Um, yeah, no, he asserts that um, psychics were used by uh, secret societies attached to the Nazis and that um, while in a trance, a uh, German medium named Maria Orsic um, was able to channel um, and do directed writing um, where she would go into a trance and would write. And uh, these real society members believed they were in contact with uh, an extraterrestrial species and... Um, this automatic writing done by Maria Orsic was, I believe, discovered to be uh, ancient Sumerian. Um, Interesting. And upon looking and translating, looking at and translating these writings, um, the German scientists realized they were blueprints, and they were not just any blueprints. They were blueprints for a uh, sort of a beginner's UFO. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, um, having the resources they did and. Uh, controlling the, you know, vast majority of, uh, the old Bavarian wealth, they, um, developed these craft and, um, these Wunderwaffe, those wonder weapons from, uh, Germany were, um, well, well on their way to development before the start of world war two, um, which really makes one wonder if, uh, they contributed to the confidence the Germans had in winning world war two, um, 
But regardless, um, in my presentation, I show a photo of what's called the the Glocka, de Glocka, which means... The Nazi bell. Yes, the Nazi bell. Um, and I'll show here, there is a photo, and the text um, on the Nazi bell is very... It's very clearly um, the same language that the automatic writing done by... Alleged automatic writing by Maria Orsich was... Um, same language. And so you have this uh, German physical craft with writing from an ancient civilization, and it really makes you wonder why that would be included on a uh, prototype flying device. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's videos of this Nazi bell flying. There's still, there's the uh, alleged um, concrete structure in Germany that still stands where this was tethered in these videos, this uh, writhing um, spitting device that was connected by chains on all sides to keep it uh, aligned. Because they weren't, uh, they weren't able to actually control it that well. That's exactly right. They were just, they were, they were honing in on um, the nature of the physics behind it. And um, yeah, they, they very clearly made some advances, but um, even prior to the Nazi bell, um, there were advances in Italy um, going back to the thirties. Um, there are alleges of crashes in Italy um, in the thirties that led to contact. In fact, there's a, I don't remember the case name, um, but, uh, allegedly some extraterrestrials inside a mountain working with some Italians who would give them some food. Um, yeah, uh, contributed to the information pool that the Nazis eventually used to develop their, um, what are called the Hanabu craft, mm, um, mm -hmm. from, uh, Hanaburg. Um, and they were shortened that to Hanabu. Um, and uh, so in my presentation, I show a number of different craft of increasing complexity um, mm, with, uh, seen that with photo some before. German officers. Um, there's a photo of a craft being tested underneath a blimp, potentially to hide it from uh, eyes flying overhead during the war. Um, there are photos of uh, slightly weaponized craft coming out of um, World War II. Um, it is asserted by uh, Dr. Michael Sala that the craft were not able to be weaponized, that the field um, which manipulated gravity was not conducive to, um, to firing projectiles and that only energy weapons could be fired through this barrier. Whereas we basically were still working with conventional weaponry, so or they, the Nazis and us, were only working with that conventional technology, so it was the ballistic side. Exactly, and this... this inability to convert um, their craft to ballistic uh, war weapons may have contributed to the, uh, the loss within the timetable that we understand. Um, whether or not they were able to weaponize these after is a great, great deal of contention. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Admiral Byrd. Yes. Yeah, so Admiral Byrd was uh, an admiral, of course, in the United States Navy, and shortly after World War II... Um, a great deal of ships and aircraft were dispatched to Antarctica, um, allegedly to establish Little America Three. I believe, was the um, colony name. And uh, if you look at the number of resources sent down there, it's right after World War II, and it doesn't really make sense to, to be sending a uh, you know, uh, number of our ships, which were just getting put back together, um, mm -hmm. just to, 
huge number of resources right when we're recovering from the war down to Antarctica. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And their official mission was like mapping stuff and doing this random yep. things that do doesn't really seem to coincide with any of the photos that they've actually released as well. Right. There's a, actually, I don't know if it was CBC or ABC. There was a, there's a great video um, documentary um, put out of Admiral Byrd's expedition um, it involves, you know, their huskies, um, they took down there, the hunting of seals to feed the huskies. It just makes it look like a, a colony establishing mission. And, um, if you watch this video, um, you see all the men in this video, they're very clearly the most elite warfighters we had. This was, uh, these were not, um, geographers going down there. These were some of our, some of our crack troops, um, going down with Admiral Byrd. And the allegation is that they went down to see how well established the remnants of the Nazi party um, were in Antarctica. And there is the assertion that um, we had it handed to us so badly that um, eventually, begrudgingly, um, parts of the United States government were forced to make a treaty with uh, military power that the United States citizens thought that we had defeated. Um, and it's a really depressing, if it's true, part of, part of our revised <laughs> history. But um, there's enough evidence there, I think, that, uh, you know, if, if this upcoming UFO report is to satisfy anyone, they will have to, the United States government will have to make clear that history as we know it did not go exactly as we know it. And that um, whether it was, you know, for best intentions or otherwise, uh, messed with. So. I don't think that this report is going to satisfy anybody when it's actually released myself. And again, you know, that's why I'm hedging my, my hopes on the fact that it doesn't satisfy anyone and that everyone becomes more unsatisfied to the point where there's a wider demand for the answers. Um, I'm really worried that it's going to turn into, see, I told you it was nothing, as opposed to... They said it's nothing, but now there's this. Why don't we research it at least? Right. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure um, what the government's going for here, but they could have e just as easily not said anything. They could have continued the same tactics. And so you have these videos being released by the Navy. Mm -hmm. To me, it almost seems like one branch of the government, the, the Navy, is strong-arming other parts of the government into discontinuing the uh, government line that this is all a bunch of nonsense. Uh, They've had too many credible pilots and sources seeing these things almost daily, they say, for a long time now. And with the, you know, with the maneuverability um, and some of the attributes of these crafts, such that they can move underwater in air um, without seemingly encountering the matter around them, they have so many physics questions to answer. If they do anything with this report besides indicating that they have more information, if, if they say we don't have more information, there's going to be panic. These things are just far too impressive um, for our government not to be worried about. If they say they're not worried and they confirm that they have these attributes, it's not going to look good for, uh, you know, for the next elections. Um, I think this could... You know, there's there's a lot, you know, on the cannabis um, 
cannabis legalization, there was often this thing called the giggle factor that prevented the conversation from going anywhere. Yeah. Jokes about potheads and reefer and all this discontinuing the conversation. And if you look at the UFO um, subject, there's this same giggle factor um, preventing conversation from happening. And with these release released videos and the change in tactics by the government here, it almost seems like um, they're discontinuing this giggle factor as it applies to UFOs. And I think if there's anything to be optimistic about, uh, it's that that has changed in the last 70 years, if nothing else. I agree there, at least. So, um, yeah, further on in this presentation, there are other photos of the Hanabu. Um, and uh, I think that the visual evidence does a lot to get you in the mindset to consider even if it's not true that potentially these craft and this technology has been in development since the forties. Um, and that potentially the United States came into possession of some of that craft and it certainly would, um, explain some of the, uh, more domestic UFO sites, such as black triangles, for example. Uh -huh. Um, there's been assertions that these have been around a lot longer than the United States even, Yet you see a huge number of Black Triangle sightings, uh, I believe in the 80s, and uh, really calls into question whether or not we made these advances. Um, and you look at pop culture. Pop culture has painted a pretty consistent narrative, uh, whether it's the greys, insects, reptiles, whatever it is. Um, you know, X-Files, um, Star Trek, Star Wars, all of these movies seem to have at least in some part, been directed towards the same narrative. Um, these, these elements within pop culture seem to have been directed towards um, at least getting the American public familiar with these concepts. Well, and they say, you know, getting it familiar through pop culture so that when real aliens were to show up, people would be less freaked out and ready to scatter, even though... There's also the thought that, you know, anytime a more advanced civilization comes across a lesser advanced civilization, at least here on Earth, what do we do? We destroy the lesser advanced civilization and we move on with it. Without question, yes. Um, and uh, I think some of the best evidence for extraterrestrials and uh, beings of completely different mindset is the fact that we have not been invaded and demolished by these technologies, that they're kept in, uh, in such a way that they don't destroy us. Um, there's nothing less human than that, if you ask me. Um, humans, when we come in you know, contact with these technologies, would be the first to subjugate other humans. And uh, the fact that these craft are moving with impunity and uh, seemingly no hostile intent really points to, uh, if not peaceful, um, then maybe an in information gathering um, objective by yeah. these potential beings. Not necessarily an attack force coming after us, which is the first thing our military wants to think of is, okay, how do we weaponize these, just like the Nazis you know, tried to do with theirs. Exactly, and I think that if the military wanted to scare us, if the government wanted to scare us into getting more funding, they don't need to release any information. They simply, they simply get the funding they need from Congress and increase the budget. They don't need to scare anyone. Who needs a two thousand dollar toilet seat or a three thousand right. dollar hammer? 
Right, or a three thousand uh, dollar bolt. <laughs> I mean, the you look at the the inflated prices on uh, some of these projects, and uh, you know you hear um, you hear from insiders that uh, oh man, um, that so, I don't I don't know the exact number of years, but there's an allegation that for every civilian year of technological advancements being, uh, you know, consumer electronics show, the new phones, yeah. the new RAM, all that. For every civilian year of technolo- technological advancement, um, because you have the military industrial complex running in fear mode and with infinite resources, there are allegations that 64 and a half years of technological advancement occur for every calendar year where we see new cell phones and new video games and that type of thing. Um, so there's, there's really a question, um, you know, what have we gotten? And if this has been going on since 47 and, uh, and, uh, even two, two calendar years of, uh, technological advancement are happening in one, one civilian calendar year, you could see how this technological divide between the public and what the government has could just turn into a, you know, a huge Canyon, a, a huge gap between what we believe is possible and what the government believes is possible. Well, that's like um, I recently heard, and I can't, I wish I had the story in front of me to deal with it, but uh, that spies in the, I want to say, 80s basically had smartphone-like technology that they were using then, so 20 years before we had it, and then, you know, that's another decade, that's 30 years have gone by with this technology that, you know, we're just acknowledging now everybody should have and uh i know we touched on it briefly but um if you look into some of these accounts of the uh alleged secret space programs Mm -hmm. um and uh there's some documentation regarding that um some of these uh alleged whistleblowers claim that yes in the 1980s um these programs had smartphone-like technology in the 70s they had really nice lcd um screens um and uh it just doesn't it doesn't fit with the current technological narrative. Um, if you you know if you look at how much our phones have advanced in twenty years, say, <laughs> or how how much our computers have advanced in thirty years, um, or even our cars, which move you know technologically, we're just now seeing self driving Teslas. Um, and you, you heard about the plaid speed, just sure. breaking the speed records, exactly. all these kind of things. So yeah, if you look at how fast these technologies have advanced, and then you look at our space program, and we haven't been back to the moon since 1972, there's sort of this mental disconnect where you have to at some point, and I, I, I got to this point in my research, um, where it doesn't make any sense, and you have to say, how in the world could all these other facets of technology move in leaps and bounds, and yet... Space is back in the 70s. It, it makes no sense unless you look at, uh, you know, concern by the government regarding a problem. Maybe it's a problem um, that is so far outside of their ability to deal with um, that it has simply been pushed, pushed into the dark and made fun of and ridiculed. And it may just be that um, the leaks are the leakers and the corroboration from these leakers is getting to the degree now where uh, the government is, their hand is forced. Um, They have to tell us something. And, um, you know, more likely than anything, I think that this upcoming report will confirm uh, suspicion that a lot of people in the ufology research um, 
have asserted, which is there are international treaties preventing individual countries from unilaterally announcing extraterrestrial life. If you think about the geopolitical upset that would come from, say, Russia announcing extraterrestrial life, walking an alien out onto a, a press conference, mm -hmm. they could crash the economies of the rest of the world, enact military objectives, and benefit greatly from this information being released. So, from the ensuing panic. Exactly. And so I think more than likely, um, the United States has engaged in um, treaties, whether or not we still would like to be part of these treaties is coming into question, but you have uh, scientists like uh, Hayem Ashed from the Israeli Space Space Force, or not Space Force, but Israeli Space Defense, claiming that uh, extraterrestrials have asked that their presence be hidden, um, and uh, really calls into question whether or not these treaties are to our benefit, and whether or not the silence is to our benefit. And I think with the Navy releasing these videos, it's very clear that part of the American government, at least, is not okay with the silence that these treaties, um, alleged potential treaties, are uh, are forcing on them. Um, and so we have currently in the media, we have got two main stories going around. We've got the coronavirus and the lab leak hypothesis. That is a main headline. And the second main headline that is worrying most people is what's going to be in this UFO report. So um, if you want my opinion on what this UFO report is about, it is putting uh, putting the international media and other countries, including China, in a position where they have to decide, all right, what is the main news story um, for 2021? Is it extraterrestrials? Um, are we going to let up on this international ban on discussing this? Um, or is it the lab leak hypothesis? And I think it's putting some of our international adversaries in a very difficult position having to choose between the two. And uh, I'm not sure that's the case, but it would certainly make sense that um, with this horrible coronavirus outbreak um, and uh, the situation everyone around the world is in, that, um, that these two narratives are competing and that by these competing narratives being handed to uh, China, um, there's two choices. There's do we focus on the lab leak or do we focus on extraterrestrials for the rest of the year? And uh, it'll be really interesting to see what the rest of the world or specifically China um, picks. But uh, I don't think it's going to be the lab leak hypothesis. I don't think they're going to want that discussed. And um, so I would hope that the, you know, potential international treaties are annulled and that this conversation can begin. I, uh, I wonder if here in the U.S. the... The UFO disclosure stuff always seems to get put behind the lab leaks and the COVID, the ongoing COVID uh, crisis or other political discussions more because it is in a nice little smokescreen to not have to talk about them for our government and things like that. But like you said, it's not just our government that is coming down the pipeline. I really don't know either. Um, you know, uh, I would have, if I was in charge of the United States government, I would think, my goodness, this is such a hard thing to break to the public. Um, by all accounts, it, it really does deserve to be shocking. We do deserve to be shocked by the reality that we're not alone in the universe, if that is the case. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really wonder if um, the United States government and other governments are seeing the coronavirus pandemic as the event 
um, which allows this to be announced without everyone panicking. Everyone's looking the other way at coronavirus, and they can just say, oh, there's aliens, by the way. And uh, <laughs> there's less of a panic because everyone's already freaked out. Um, just kind of gets put off on the back burner until we're done with uh, getting our lives back to normal. And so I think there is this opportunity that the, the U.S. government sees slowly slipping away. And if they don't you know, take this opportunity to come clean with the people, at least in some degree, um, I think it'll be a much harder pill to swallow down the road. I agree. Now, you said at the end of your presentation, there's actually the other document by uh, Popular Science that you conclude with. Popular Mechanics, yes. Popular Mechanics, so, um, Yes. Um, let me go ahead and pull this up. It is an article titled... The conspiracy, this conspiracy is a popular mechanics article. This conspiracy says Hitler had secret anti-gravity UFO and the U.S. stole it. Um, it's about the, the Glocka, de Glocka that we, we discussed. And when was this article? This article was published on June 1st, 2021. So, so for, in three years, basically, they went from saying Hanabu didn't exist to here, let's talk about the Nazi bell. And exactly. And if you just look at this... It's really a sea change in, in opinion. Um, it really, you know, the media lags popular opinion. That's, that's just the truth. The media is never the leading edge of what people believe. It's, it's always filling in the gaps of what people want to know. And uh, so more so than the change in the media, this shows the change in popular opinion and the public's desire and beliefs, frankly. Um, if in three years, um, you know, I, I, I am sure that these... Uh, these writers at Popular Mechanics uh, who wrote the article three years ago are still there. Um, their opinions may not have changed that much in three years, but it's very clear that the opinions of the American people have forced the narrative to change. Um, and, you know, I don't, think, I don't think we choose the facts. I think we discover the facts. And uh, I don't think people are choosing the fact that the Nazi bell existed. People are discovering the fact and Papa mechanics is just riding those tailwinds. Wow. Uh, I love it. Um, thank you very much for this. Um, we're going to be including links to the presentation as well as your MUFON wows, Instagram. Uh, is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up today? Cause that was amazing. No, this has been really, really great. And I hope this conversation becomes more in-depth and more people become involved. And I, I want to thank you, John, for having me here. Uh, this has been awesome. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And I hope that Josh joins us back here again, where we can maybe do a deeper dive on some specific UFO incidents. I want to thank him and also give a special thanks to all of our listeners. You are the reason I'm doing this. Please tell your friends about us, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, or wherever else you're listening. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Every podcast says that because it really does help with visibility. You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. Thanks again. Have a blessed day.